0: Welcome once again to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast. My name is Ryan and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are. So if you're a programmer who wants to get into business or if maybe you are already in business and you wanna see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 11 with Chris Ferdinandi. My guest today is Chris Ferdinandi. Chris helps people learn vanilla JavaScript. He believes there's a simpler, more resilient way to make things for the web. Chris is the author of the Vanilla JS Pocket Guide series, creator of the Vanilla JS Academy training program, and host of the Vanilla JS podcast. His developer tips newsletter is read by thousands of developers each weekday. He's taught developers at organizations like Jabani and the Boston Globe, and his JavaScript plugins have been used by Apple and Harvard Business School. Chris loves pirates, puppies, and Pixar movies, and lives near horse farms in rural Massachusetts. He runs Go Make Things with Bailey Poppy, a lab mix from Tennessee. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here. So I'm really curious about what you're doing with your vanilla JS stuff. Um, so it sounds like you, uh, you know, your approach to development from what I'm, what I'm seeing is really all about keeping things vanilla, keeping things down to just uh, JavaScript itself. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing uh, with your pocket guide and, and your podcast and, and, and your academy as well around vanilla JS?
1: yeah yeah and so there's a lot of lot going on, a lot of moving parts um what would be kind of the best place f- to start like just kind of yeah. like a high level what the business is about or um sure you know, i guess something yeah, else?
0: yeah uh, even just if we uh maybe let's chat about your vanilla j s academy uh let's let's uh, hear what that's all about yeah sure so um uh
1: so the vanilla j s academy is an eight week um time-bound remote training program. So at the beginning of every week, um, I release a handful of video and text-based lessons for my students, um, and give them two projects to actually go and work on. Um, Uh, and then at the end of the week, I release another set of videos that walk through how I would have approached those problems, kind of caveating it with the fact that there's no one way, right way to approach these things, mm-hmm. but just kind of showing people how I would, I would tackle it. Um, the day before that I run an open office hour, uh, like a video office hour thing on zoom where people can pop in, ask questions about anything they're stuck on, get code reviews if they've already completed the projects. Nice. Um, and this was all born out of, um, this was all born out of the, um, the pocket guides, these short little eBooks that I wrote on a bunch of uh, JavaScript-based topics where um, I was starting to get feedback from my students that they read them, they understood all of the different techniques and approaches, and where they were really struggling with was with taking these things and then actually applying them to real-world projects. It was kind of that transition from I know all the techniques to how to actually apply them in a less structured kind of environment. Um, and so Academy is my attempt at bridging that gap for people, teaching people not just to kind of know the techniques, but actually figure out how to apply them, how to solve problems, how to work through interesting challenges.
0: Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you've you got a lot of experience as a JavaScript developer yourself. Um, how far back does that go for you? How long have you been doing this?
1: Let's see. So I've been professionally a web developer for about five or six years. Um, well working working as a like kind of casual developer a few years before that, so I guess JavaScript for me started probably five, maybe four years ago. Um, I had, in a previous life, been a human resource guy, um, was trying to make a career jump and discovered that for me, just knowing HTML and CSS was really limiting my job prospects. It was hard to get interviews. When I did get interviews, they were looking for someone with more JS experience. Um, so. I taught myself JavaScript really just to make myself more employable. Right,
0: um, yeah, how did you teach yourself uh, out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, um, it was a lot of just reading documentation, reading tutorials online, reading Stack Overflow questions and answers, um, and failing a whole bunch repeatedly. Um, a lot of the a lot of the materials that I create now were born out of frustration with the learning process. Um, one of the things I found was there was a lot of tutorials that were incomplete that assumed you had a base level of knowledge that as a beginner I just didn't have a lot of just open up terminal type in these eight commands that make no sense to you and you know um, which works for me now but didn't work for me six years ago and I know a lot of people are still in that boat Um, and then just like forums like stack overflow are awesome but they can be really hostile to beginners Um, if you ask a question that's deemed too junior or too noobish you tend
0: to get like not overtly harassed, but people are kind of jerks about it. Um, there's a t- there's a tone, there's a definite tone in responses and just in comments on Stack Overflow when you're you're asking. Yeah, and a it's push, just it, there. it's not
1: not a welcoming place for people. Like kind of a certain level, and I wanted to create some resources and create a space that was safe for people who are beginners to really learn in.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. Um, that's valuable for sure. I mean, I remember. I think, you know, my experience when I, I, I guess I'm in a similar boat to you. I, I taught myself uh, web development uh, going back in a similar time frame. I, th- I think I started in 2012. Um, so what is that? Seven years ago, I guess, ish. Um, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And, you know, I didn't really get to the point in, uh, where I was employable until a few years later because I kind of took it a bit slow, but uh, kind of similar thing, career jump from, uh, you know, different stuff uh, that I was doing previously. And my experience was generally okay with learning um JavaScript, html css like it wasn't super hostile but i sensed that hostility to, towards newbies <laughs> from time to time for sure so and, and you know beyond that it's also just like the fact that a lot of a lot of the material out there for like real beginners when it was coming to javascript just wasn't assembled in a in a Good way to make it approachable to make it consumable for um, new developers. So that's uh, that's awesome that you're doing that. Um, what are some of the um, like? Can you give us maybe some examples of of some of the content that you would have in 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 your uh, Vanilla JS material?
1: Yeah. So I um I cover a lot of. You noted that I'm all about like simplicity and and kind of the basics, and I think that's really accurate. So, um, you know, I have um. Well, so I guess the caveat here is, especially with my like my pocket guides, which are either short little eBooks or short little video courses. Um, one of the things that I found is when you do find really good learning material, it tends to be really um, all-encompassing. Um, it's like it's a marketing angle, right? The like twenty-five hours of video material on, and like I know that appeals to a lot of people, but for me, I was like, oh wow, that is like that's a lot to get through. So um, my stuff tends to be more short, more focused, a little bit more blunt. I don't, you know, like I don't try and pad them. They're very deliberately like short and focused in nature. So I have one that is just about DOM manipulation. I have another one that is literally just about working with strings and numbers. Um, And other guide that's purely focused on DOM injection. Um, One just on working with APIs. And the idea is that you have a topic that you want to learn You go in, you learn just about that topic. There's a little project at the end that we work through to kind of make things a little bit more real so you can apply some of these concepts in a tangible way. And then you get back to work. And my goal is to have you be able to go through the whole thing in an hour or less. Um, Yeah, so they're very deliberately short and focused. They also come with access to a private Slack channel I have um, so that you can ask questions, share some things you're working on if you're feeling stuck or struggling to apply some of the stuff in the book to a real world scenario. but yeah, it's, it's all just really kind of the basics. The other thing, you mentioned you learned around the same time frame as I did. You know, you'll probably remember, Ryan, that like front-end development, especially with JavaScript, was a much simpler place then. I, I like to call it like the sweet spot of learning JS, where um, native APIs had caught up to libraries like um, jQuery in a lot of ways, and browser support was getting a lot better than it had been before. But we didn't have the, like, the really complex front-end tooling infrastructure that we have today. Um, with all the different frameworks and, uh, module loaders and bundlers and things like that. And so it was really, um, you know, I, one of the biggest things I hear from my students is that they're just overwhelmed with all the stuff and not knowing where to start. And so I try and bring a little bit of that clarity to them. Um, the guides are very, very focused on maybe almost even like a slightly archaic way of building websites, but it's, it's really designed to get people into JavaScript coming from nothing. Um, you know
0: so that's great that's uh it's valuable i think because especially because if you're a new developer and you're hopping into you know the twitter sphere uh as a new developer it's going to be a confusing place for a lot of people uh who, who haven't gone the you know 20,000 steps that you need to get to uh from mm-hmm. a new developer to knowing how you know bundlers and, um, creating distributable, uh, files from your, you know, node modules and all that, how how all that works together. So, uh, that's great. I think focusing on simplicity, um, is, is excellent. Um, you know, one, one thing that, so you kind of, you kind of mentioned, um, something earlier that made me think about one of the issues that I kind of struggle with as an author is I, I tend to always think that if. I understand a concept if I understand something it probably means that everyone else does as well and I think there's like it's you know there's different names for this like the curse of knowledge and and there's mm-hmm. some other other ways I've, I've heard people put it and i was just thinking about this this morning that it's like you know it's even as soon as I if I'm struggling to understand a topic it, mm-hmm. at that point I'm like oh this must be something that would be worthwhile to teach once I understand it. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I come to understand it and immediately it's so funny how immediately it can be like, oh, everyone must get this now. This, you know, just this like internal sort of like uh, thought about the, the topic. So do you, I, I'm mm-hmm. curious if you have a, if, if that is something that you struggle with as well and, and how you might overcome that. Yeah. Um, so I, um,
1: that's a really great question. So I'm not sure that I, there are definitely some times where that creeps up. Um, One of the things that's really helpful for me is, is because I have that, the like the private Slack channel for all my students. Um, And it's a really like awesome active community. So I always have people asking questions and I write, um, I write articles on my site every single weekday. They get pushed out to a newsletter. Um, And so, and I use my real email address. So like one of the, one of the best things that, my students do is keep me honest. So I, because I'm writing so much and sharing so frequently, the second I kind of hit this point where I'm presuming people know something, I hear about it. One of my students asks me a question or pushes back on an idea or, you know, you mentioned XYZ, what does that actually mean? Um, So I am constantly being forced to um, evaluate whether what I know is something that other people know already or not. Um, and also just kind of constantly, because I'm constantly interacting with my audience in like real time, um, I feel like I struggle with that less than I would otherwise. Um, so, and I, I tell people all the time, like this, having a Slack channel, um, just for my customers is one of the best things I ever did for my business. I originally threw it in just as like a, a value add to help maybe justify a little bit the price of my stuff, which was you know, it was short and simple and I'm not charging $9 for my ebook. They cost 29 bucks. And so I wanted something to like maybe justify that value a little bit. But um, as a business owner, it provides me with this instant feedback loop. It's so awesome. Not just for kind of keeping, keeping my presumptions about what people know in check, but even like when I come up with new ideas of things I want to I wanna sell or I want to work on, being able to go to my customers and be like, hey, I'm thinking about this. Is this something that you guys actually struggle with that you actually care about? Would you find this valuable? Um, I get really quick like yes, no kind of validation from my audiences. And sometimes they even go in more in depth. Like yes, but make sure you cover XYZ because I really have a hard time with this. Um, so yeah, it's, I recommend it to everybody. If you run a product-based business, um, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever done. May not work as well for a service business, but for products, can't recommend it enough.
0: That's awesome, man. That's, um, that's great advice. And I have... I, it's been, it's been an intention of mine to put together a community, a Slack community for, for my audience. I have yet to do that. And I think for the next product launch, I probably will. Um, I've always kind of relied on email as my primary mechanism to stay in touch with the audience, but there's so much more. I mean, it can be so much more dynamic, I think, you know, with a Slack group, like they can start talking to each other, helping each other out with problems. Have you experienced that?
1: Yeah, it happens constantly. And I, I end up learning about things I didn't know about. Like one of the, um, one of the things I always tell people are always like, especially people who are beginners, they're always like, oh, how do I get as good as you? And I always have to be like, look, I got to be honest, like, I'm kind of an idiot with this stuff. There's so many things I don't know. And it crops up in the room all the time. Like someone asks a question, another student answers it. And I learn about a technique I wouldn't have thought of, Um, An approach to a problem that's just come, it comes from a different angle than I would have Mm -hmm. some entirely new JavaScript API or methodology or tool I hadn't heard of. Um, It's just, it's awesome. And it just fuels that cycle of learning, helps me come up with new things to share with my audience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's really, really great. I am like for me, like email is awesome. And like with the newsletter, I love getting direct responses, but having the students talk to each other is just Mm -hmm.
0: invaluable. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I, I used to be of the mind that if I were to get questions like you, you had mentioned, you know, people will ask you questions. Sometimes you don't know the answer to them. It used. It, I used to be sometimes, a bit insecure. All the time. Yeah, I used to be a bit insecure, and I would be very <laughs> afraid to to let my students know that I didn't know something. You know, and of course, there I'm not going to know everything. I but I used to I used to have this insecurity that would be. Like, Oh, if I tell them that I don't know something, they're going to think I'm just, you know, scamming them with trying to, you know, sell them some content on whatever the topic might be, even though there's value in that content. Um, is that something that you ever struggled with was like, you know, I I, got to put on this front that I know it all. And I I need to go research the the answer to their question and come back with an answer.
1: Especially earlier on, like three, maybe four years ago, admitting I didn't know something felt like, um cause I was like deep in the thick of imposter syndrome, um, especially as a self-taught developer, there's always this, like, I don't feel like I really belong here kind of thing. Um, one of the things that really changed that for me was seeing kind of the, the power that comes from admitting you don't know stuff. Um, it's like if you're confident enough in your abilities that you can say that there's something you don't know, um, it, it like it conveys something, you know what I mean? It, um, I, like I was for a long time, I was under the perception that if you admit you don't know something, it makes you seem like you don't know what you're talking about. But I've seen enough experts do it enough times that I've started to notice that it's, it's actually a really powerful thing to say, like, I don't know, but let me find out and get back to you. Um, uh, the other really nice thing that happens when I do that is I, I, especially when it's in a Slack channel is other students jump in to fill the gap and I learn something new. So, um, you know whereas if i immediately come in with a response sometimes it can shut down that conversation um so uh yeah it it used to be a big issue for me um like a thing that i was terrified of now not so much
0: yeah that's that's great it's the same thing for me too i think you know so you probably <clears throat> you follow people like uh dan abramov on on twitter i'm sure and mm-hmm. um yeah one of you know he's he's got value in everything he says uh, on twitter in my opinion but one of the more valuable things that he will say from time to time will be admissions of the things that he doesn't know right because people put him on a pedestal thinking that he is he knows everything there there would be to know but when he comes out and he, he goes into detail about the things that he still doesn't know as a developer some people and some people are surprised um but I, I think that is such a powerful thing that he can do because it says to the whole community, like, you know, not every, no one is going to know everything and it's okay. It's not a, it's not, it's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. That's cool. Uh, I'd love to shift and talk about kind of the business around um, your products. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so take me through take me through what you got so you, like i guess the the things that you offer uh as products what are what, what are the individual things the pocket guide is is a product itself the academy is a product
1: yeah so i have um these days i have three actual offerings or three three te- i guess technically the newsletter is a product but not really like you don't pay for it but it's kind of the first entry into um like if you think about your products as a kind of a ladder that you want to move people up, the first point of entry for me is almost always the newsletter. Um, People sign up to get my daily tips. They're free, go straight to your inbox and it sidesteps this whole need to immediately hook people into a sale when they hit a a sales page. So, um, so much so that at the bottom of every sales page, I have a not ready to buy yet, get daily tips for free, call to action because I want to get people in regular contact with me um in those at the end of each one I recommend people a product that they might enjoy so if you've never bought anything from me you're going to get recommended my pocket guides which are those short ebooks and videos for beginners Um, if you've purchased those, you're going to get um, recommended uh, this new offering that I just spun up a couple of uh, months ago, uh, Vanilla JavaScript Projects. It's this monthly video series where um, I put forth a project that we're going to work on. You can either pause and work on your own, or you can watch me go through it in real time. I don't plan them out ahead of time. I literally just solve them on the fly. So you get to see all of the, like, the screw ups, the debugging, the like, why isn't this working the way I thought it would? Um, you get to hear my thought process. And then if you've done that, um, you get um, suggested My Vanilla JavaScript Academy. And so the system is smart. It has kind of an awareness of what you've already purchased. It's not going to offer you something you already own. Um, But yeah, so the idea is to kind of work people up through that ladder um, where you start with the least expensive, um, easiest to kind of get into stuff. And then once they get a taste of kind of what working with you is like, you move them up into some more expensive more value added kind of things that's great
0: yeah um do you what do you do for like um, i guess would would inbounds be the right way to put it like how do you how do you attract people to yeah how do like, I get your... customers yeah
1: yeah so um i i do most of my business these days is marketing, but it's not the kind of marketing that you would normally associate with marketing so the, the number one thing I do to grow my business is daily writing. I like, I just cannot recommend this enough. So I am early in my kind of transition into kind of starting up my own business. Um, I worked with Jonathan Stark, who's a, a kind of a business coach for software developers. Um, and also, um, consumed a lot of, uh, Philip Morgan stuff. Um, uh, Jonathan, Stark.com And I think it's philipmorganconsulting.com. They have a bunch of free stuff. I recommend signing up for both their newsletters. If you run your own business, it's amazing. Um, but um, they both really strongly were like, you should write daily. You'd be surprised at what it does to your business. And I was absolutely terrified because I'm like, how am I going to come up with stuff to write every single weekday? Um, but I, at the time I had a newsletter of about like 50 subscribers and it just wasn't growing. It was totally stagnated. Um, so I brainstormed a list. I'm like, if I can come up with 30 article ideas in 10 minutes, I'll try this for a month. And if it really sucks, I could just roll it back. I'd been doing like a weekly kind of summary of awesome development stuff from the web at that point. So I came up with 25 ideas. I decided that was good enough. Um, and I started writing and this really interesting kind of thing happened where, um, I started getting responses back to my articles because they were, um, Well, so two things happened. I started getting responses back with questions about things, which led to more articles. So it created almost this flywheel effect where articles led to more articles, led to more articles, led to more articles. articles. And so at this point, I have a backlog of 75 articles that I'm supposed to write that keeps growing. It was just 125. I pruned out some articles that I decided I was just, you know, they were like a year old at this point. I was never going to write them. So I have a backlog of 75 article ideas and it grows every day. Um... The other thing that happened is my subscriber numbers started to surge. So I went from 50 subscribers to hundred in like two weeks and then it grew to 300 and 500. And by the end of the year, I had passed the thousand subscriber threshold Or after about 12 months, I had passed the thousand subscriber threshold after being stagnated at 50 for a year. Um, my read rates or my, my open rates went up. Uh, my click through rates went up. Um, every metric that you care about grew. My speculation is that because I'm writing daily, my articles become a lot shorter and they went from being these long things that you would have to like set aside and read later and never get to, to the kind of thing you could just quickly read while you're drinking your morning coffee or tea and then get on with your day. Um, My flow with these is that I publish them all as blog articles and then I use MailChimp's RSS to email um, workflow to just automatically push them out to an email. So, um, People end up sharing them a lot on um, uh, on you know Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. And every email has a link to the original article on my site at the bottom of it. So when people share it, they're sharing the article on my site. I'm also publishing every day, which Google loves. So I start to get a lot of organic traffic that way. So the like the inbound traffic to my site now is just ridiculous, and it's all because I write articles every weekday. Um, uh, Wes Boss, uh, who I'm sure a lot of people, but not everybody on this audience or on your podcast may know, um, he does a lot of JavaScript-based video training. He's probably the most successful person in this space for um, JavaScript training. He's working on a vanilla JavaScript course, and he recently tweeted out that every time he searched for a vanilla JavaScript thing as he prepares for this course, he ends up finding one of my articles. Like, I've now hit the point where I'm constantly showing up on the front page of Google because I write so much content. It's really just like... I, it's it's been kind of a deliberate goal of mine but this is the number one source of marketing for me
0: yeah so that would over be, time oh sorry, yeah i'm sorry God, I'm right. no it's good okay. oh, no, I, I was thinking that's probably then where you would be now capturing email addresses mostly right like you you would have organic reach through google people find your articles and then you've probably got an opt-in on each article page every single article yeah.
1: and i stole this idea from paul jarvis um who i i he's been such an inspiration in terms of how I run my business. Um, He also has a really awesome new book out called company of one that talks about running a business as like a solopreneur and how to grow in a way that's sustainable. So you don't burn out. Um, But so much of the way I run my business down to having a Slack channel was inspired by some of the stuff I saw him do that really resonated with me. And it's not the only way to run a business. Like Jonathan Stark has some slightly different perspectives, but um, Paul's kind of ethos fits really closely with, with mine. Uh, but one of the things he does that I thought was really great was he has that opt-in on the bottom of every, um, every article. So I, I kind of, I stole that idea from him. Um, one of the things he did that I thought was like really radical at the time, but just kind of makes sense today is... My homepage used to be a list of all the products that I sell. Now it's nothing but an opt-in to my newsletter. Um, That is the number one thing I want people to do. I want to get them on my list so I can start talking to them. The sales happen later. Um, And uh, the idea that you don't need to immediately try and sell to someone was really scary to me before, but now just doing it any other way doesn't seem to make sense. Um, uh, Yeah. So I have that opt-in on every article. So as people hit my page, they usually read the article and they sign up. Um, one of the other things similar to this that I do is um, I now um, every day I, on Twitter, I search for vanilla JS or hashtag vanilla JS and I answer questions. Um, this is an idea I got from, um, from Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman. They run, um, they run a whole kind of Academy thing for, um, uh, Entrepreneurs that I never took because it's really 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 expensive, but in one of their free resources. They talk about this idea of um, uh, Something called um, uh, I think the term she uses is is like knowledge bomb or e-bomb something like that but the idea is that you you go to places where people are talking about your products topics or primary audience And you just answer questions people have. You point them to relevant resources. You're not trying to sell them anything. You're just literally trying to be a helpful human being. And so I just I see so many beginners who have questions around things that I've written about before. So at this point, now that I've been writing for so long, I have an article for pretty much everything. And if I don't, that then becomes an article I can write, which is great. Um, So, you know, I kind of... um, uh, comb through all the questions and when it's something I can be helpful with, um, I, I answer, um, I, I either give them an answer outright or I link them to an article that has more details. Um, and in doing so, I usually end up picking up a lot of subscribers that way because people, they go read my article. They're like, Oh, this seems great. I want more of this. Um, and being targeted around beginners helps a lot because, um, you know, for them finding resources that are specifically targeted to them is like a really kind of no brainer thing. Um, you know, and kind of there's still that like, Oh, I want to get emails every day because I'm trying to learn as much as I can as quickly as I can. Um, yeah. So that's the the biggest part of my funnel is just the daily writing and then answering questions and kind of pulling more people into that fold. So, um, the weird thing about having a, uh, like growing a newsletter is like, getting from zero to a 1000 seems to take forever. And then going from a 1000 to 2000 happens more quickly. And then like I went from 2500 subscribers to I'm up to almost 6000 at this point. And that happened in the last 12 months. So like it just kind of like starts to snowball. It's really um, kind of a crazy thing. Um, The other thing that I've done that um, like it's It's maybe a less important part of my funnel, but it's it still kind of matters or my like my marketing funnel is um I have a few kind of offshoot properties at this point, so I have um uh, a vanilla JavaScript toolkit. I just found myself googling the same stuff over and over again, or like digging through my old source code a lot to pull stuff out, so I just threw it all up into it was originally just like a github repository of copy paste code for myself um and then um uh, there's this guy called Kai Davis, um, called Kai Davis, his name is Kai Davis, there's a gentleman named Kai Davis, who um, does a lot of work with uh, entrepreneurs as well. And he, um, he talked about turning the breadcrumbs from stuff you've already made into things that you can offer, you know, into additional products. And I always thought that was kind of an interesting concept. So like, I, I ended up creating this website called VanillaJSToolkit.com that is literally just all of the like, the scraps from the things I make. It's, common methods I use over and over again, helper functions, plugins that I've used as I've built projects for clients, um, all kind of cataloged in one place that's searchable and easy to find. Um, and it was really just born out of my own laziness of Googling the same stuff over and over again. I don't sell it, it's just it's up there for free. But you know, on a lot of the pages, I have links to other relevant projects. So like if you're on the plugins reference on that toolkit, I'm like, hey, if you wanna learn how to write your own plugins, here's a guide I wrote on how to do that. Um, you wanna learn how to create your own helper functions. Here are some tutorials you may find useful. And you know, at the bottom of every page, there's a link back to sign up to my newsletter. And um, then I ended up spinning up my own podcast that I do semi, semi-infrequently. Um, I ended up putting together a learning roadmap because I started hearing from a lot of people that they struggled with how to get started. Um, and so I have you know kind of a, here are the things I'd learn. Here's the order I'd learn them in. Here are some projects that you can tackle if you really wanna like build your skills around these topics. And if you're struggling in any of these areas, here are some resources I offer that can help you. Um, and, you know, all of these things are free. They're just kind of standalone sites, but they they all funnel people eventually back into my newsletter or products that I offer. Um, yeah. And I don't do any, like, <sighs> traditional marketing. So I don't have any, um, you know, like, I, I'm not doing ads. I'm not... Um, you know, just any of the, like the traditional marketing stuff. Um, I just, I don't bother it's kind um, of
0: a, I think it's a bit of a waste of time and money in the industry Yeah, that we're in. I agree because you know, half of the developers you're trying to reach don't have, they have the, like an ad blocker in place anymore. Anyway. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they- I, you know,
1: it's, it's so prevalent that I ended up ripping my own, like I don't even have analytics on my sites anymore. Okay. Um, I used to, I discovered one day that my own ad blocker was blocking them. Like I don't, I I block analytics on every site I visit. I figure my audience probably is too. And I hadn't looked at them in a year and a half. And when I did, they were starting to get more and more meaningless. um, Just in the sense that I can see what people really like because it's what people are sharing the most on Twitter of the things I've written. And um, for a while it was interesting to see how people like what Google searches were leading people to my site, but with everything kind of SSL now, Google blocks that information anyway. So like 99% of the the search traffic was coming from like anonymous search terms. Like Google, Google just wouldn't tell me. So um, yeah, I just, I don't even have analytics anymore. It's just, I just write things and when people want more of something, they tell me. It's yeah. uh, pretty That's pretty yeah,
0: helpful. That, that's a good strategy though, because you're, I mean, it seems like such a, and I've experienced this in my own You know content and business like if you're just genuinely trying to help people uh it's i think i think it has a a good effect in two ways it number one it provides value for your your target audience and you know that's going to incentivize them later on to make a a purchase if you have a product offer the other thing i think it does too that i've been thinking about more and more is like you know there's there's this whole concept uh, in psychology of, of how it you know it's it it feels good to volunteer and it's like it's therapeutic in a way to volunteer right and i've experienced that like the times when i you know there there there's certain there <laughs> traditionally there's been certain peace that i've found when i've been able to just give things to my audience like um you know put a lot of effort into it but just freely give it away and say you know i want this to help uh if it, if it can and so they just even at a personal level like on our own psychology on our own psychology i think it's it's beneficial to just be giving things out right to to just scrap this whole idea that we always have to be making an offer we always have to be trying to sell rather just like you know giving stuff out there i think that's that's huge um you know of course keeping in mind that if you want to have a sustainable business you have to come up with you know strategies to have predictable income if that's your goal or whatever yes that is true but also you know there's those there's those two other levels i think that that it works on um yeah so um you know one thing you were talking about is the writing every day and i'm curious about your process for that so do you uh is, this, is that something you'll batch up on <laughs> if, like on one day I, of the week or how do you do it i am um, so i my
1: whole work process is optimized around my own laziness. Um, So one of the weird quirks about writing every day is it's actually, I found it's easier than writing once a week because it just becomes part of the daily habit. And so much of running a successful business for me personally has been about building habits. Um, uh, Probably just with anything like just building regular habits is, is such an important part of kind of, Success and keeping up with things like people are always like, how do you do it every day? It's um, it just It becomes like a momentum thing. So I um It's the first thing I do every like I, I go upstairs. I have a home office So I'll go upstairs with my cup of coffee Sit in front of my laptop Look at my list of you now 75 things that I could possibly write about pick one and write Um writing daily out of necessity. My articles have to be a little bit shorter So something that would be a long the complete guide to X article, you know, like weekly or semi-regular writing scheme now becomes a thing that gets maybe broken up into three or four articles where they build on each other successively. Um, So I spend 15, maybe 20 minutes tops writing these things every day with rare exceptions. Sometimes they take a little bit longer, but usually it's like a 15, 20 minute thing while I drink my coffee in the morning. Um, uh, I use Hugo to manage my website. So I'm writing in Markdown. I've, I've optimized everything to be as painless as possible. So I just, I open up a text file, write in Markdown, um, push it up to GitHub and GitHub takes care of the rest. I have like a webhook that pulls the new thing and builds the site and Schedules the new article for the right time and then Mailchimp's RSS takes everything over for me Um, the only time I do batch writing is if I'm going to go on vacation I want to keep up that continuity while i'm away So i've spent a lot of time automating as much of my business as I can too. Um, and that is one piece of it So like i'll queue up seven or, eight, seven or eight articles for while i'm on vacation So they just go out every day while i'm away and I have them pre-scheduled for each day um, that has really proven to me why writing daily instead of weekly is so even if you batch them is so important because I am I come back from vacation and all the other parts of my work I get back into really easily but like the writing is so damn hard if I've been out of it for a week um like coming up with or like actually starting to write again after that week off is the hardest part of coming back um yeah so I now try and like flow a little bit into the week so i can i have a buffer day to like get back into the groove um but yeah i don't do any sort of batching it's all just um kind of real real time i just think about what i want to write that morning and 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 get on with it um it would be a struggle but um like there are some days where it is a little bit hard like there are some mornings where i just like i'm tired i can't get into the groove um on those days when i really want to f- like i just need to phone it in like for my own kind of like sanity, mental health, whatever, um, I do one of two things. I have a kind of a back catalog of, um, just tools and like things that I find useful that I want to share with people. So, you know, in those days, rather than writing a tutorial, I'll point people to like a useful tool I've used that I found helpful in my development or an article someone else wrote that I think is really insightful. And rather than like adding my own thoughts to it, I'll just pull out a quote I find particularly important and then tell people to go read the whole thing. Um, also, one of the nice things about having books and products is I can pull stuff from those as an article on days where I'm really stuck. I try not to make a habit of doing that too often, but every now and then I'll just I'll go grab an excerpt from a book and copy paste it into my text editor and call it today, um, uh, and mention that it's from that product. So if people want to dig into that topic more, they can they can go get it. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just kind of a part of the routine now. Wake up, drink coffee write an article.
0: That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's um, <clears throat> I I've experienced that, that painful um, kind of uh, approach, I guess you could say to getting back into the groove of writing uh, mm-hmm. before. And it's, it's funny, man. Like it's, it's such a slog sometimes if I have, <laughs> if I've been out of it, but it's like going to the gym. Like if you go to the gym every day or near, near every day <clears throat> going, you know, each, every time you show up to the gym, it's not so hard to just get into the workout yeah. uh, it feels weird to not after a while right yeah, like if you've got yeah. routine down it feels like something's off if you don't go yeah, totally and you know get but if you've been out for a while i was on vacation i go to the gym three or four times a week, and i was on vacation i was two weeks that i was away and i didn't do any gym stuff while i was gone i really should have but uh, getting back to it it was like oh it was painful just two weeks like two weeks away from the gym and you know i've experienced that same thing with writing too it's It's hard to start again. Sometimes I just like feel like I'm walking through molasses trying to like get words out onto a page, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's tricky. Um, So every day that's, that's interesting because it kind of, it goes counter, I think, to some of the advice that we hear from certain productivity gurus who say, you know, batch things up into a Mm -hmm. certain day of the week, do all of your weekly stuff on that one day, and then you have everything done. Uh, so your approach is a bit different, which I think is valuable because it's, uh, the need to exercise continuously, which I think is ultimately helpful. So that's a cool approach. I like it. I might, uh, I might try that myself. Um, yeah, your, your book, uh, how long is your book? What's the length of it? So it, they vary. I have, there's
1: eight of them. Um, soon to be nine. Um, they are, let me actually pull one up. Um, they're in digital format. So it's a little bit tough to tell, but let's, um, Let's actually find out. I think they're, they're all under 100 pages. Um, they're probably around
0: like 50, 60, if I had to guess.
1: Let's jump. Dom manipulation is probably the most.
0: Because one thing I'm uh, curious about is you hear quite often, and this has been my experience in writing a book. Mine was around 250 pages. Um, that writing a book can be kind of a painful experience right like it's it's hard yeah. it takes way longer than you think it will um yeah. you know there's just difficulty with it and you're up to like on your ninth book so i'm curious about your approach <laughs> yeah. and if you find that writing is that sort of like you know difficult and more challenging um endeavor that uh, then maybe you, you initially think when you set out or if it's it's easy at this point
1: yeah. So I just I just look. My um my typical length is around fifty to sixty pages, um, and that's in PDF format with a, a like font size that's maybe a little bit more appropriate for someone like myself who's aging and can't see as well, and some nice big margins. So they're not particularly long. Um, uh, yeah. Writing the the thing for me is because I write articles every single day. It's just become like churning out words has become such an easy thing. Um, By the time I go to write a book, I've already written about the topic pretty extensively on my site. And a lot of what I'm doing is curating things I've already written, cleaning them up, and adding a little bit around the edges. So there's not a ton left to do. And this is where I think kind of that habit comes in of just writing for 15, 20 minutes every day. And after a month or so, you've got a pretty big, big catalog of work. Um, yeah. And again, with that optimized for laziness. So my books are, um, they're Markdown driven. So I write every chapter is just a Markdown file. Um, and I've got this little terminal thing I wrote that takes them all, converts them into EPUB, PDF, Mobi, et cetera, and like smashes them all together. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, at this point, it's very, very easy. I can go from an idea to a completed book in a day. Um, they all use a variation of the same cover. So the color changes and There's like a little icon somewhere on the book that gets swapped out and I, I use the noun project to grab those They're not even really related to the topic of the book. Um, I'm really into nautical things So every cover has some sort of like nautical object on it an anchor a fish a whale something like that um, So yeah, it's um, the whole process is really really fast um, the video component is actually what takes me a little bit longer. Um, and even then I've, I've streamlined that too. Um, but yeah, it does not, it does not, it used to though. Like I can totally, I can totally see that, you know, talking about length though. So one of the weird, just kind of psychological like things around sales is, so I used to have, it was the, um, was it like, like the vanilla JavaScript guide. Like it was the complete guide to vanilla JavaScript stuff, like for beginners and um, it was around 250 pages long, and um, I sold it for like a hundred and something dollars, and I didn't really sell a lot of them. Um, and I had someone tell me that they found it really like difficult to just get through the whole thing. there was just a lot there finding things and it was hard. So I decided to take it and break it up into parts. Um, so at the time it was a little bit smaller than like the total volume for it. So I took, I took the guide, chopped it into like five or six parts, um, actually ended up cutting out some stuff and priced it so that each one was $29, but if you bought them all together as a bundle, it cost the same price as the guide before. So it was the same material, same price, packaged differently as like five or six different things instead of one big guide and my sales like tripled in like the course of a week or three. Um, And so I don't know if it was like the, now this feels more consumable or um, it feels like I'm getting a deal because I'm getting five things at like 30% off instead of one thing at this price. But um, yeah, I've worked with that model ever since. And like the really nice thing about it is I can produce these things more easily because I don't have to write these big, long, all encompassing tomes. They're just, short and focused. Um, And then I can bundle them in really interesting ways. So now you can buy all of them. You can buy a bundle of like more beginner oriented topics, a bundle of slightly more advanced topics. Um, I can pull from them and use them in other products. So like the vanilla JavaScript Academy pulls from a lot of the guides and then introduces some additional projects. Um, And uh, kind of the pricing around these um, comes from, again, from Amy Hoy. She had this, um, she had this thing called year of hustle where she recommended this price target of somewhere between like 20 and $70 for something that will save someone an hour of their time. And I'm like, Oh, I can hit that. That sounds good. And, uh, it, it really has, for me anyways, it has really worked. Um, price point price point is sweet. Um, and if you buy the whole bundle it obviously costs more than that, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's the funny thing is almost no one buys the individual guides; they always buy the bundles. I think really? it's the psychological thing of like getting yeah. a deal.
0: I think so, man. I, I've I've experienced that, in with um one of my products too, which is like comes at three tiers, and I guess each tier. Well, it's hard to say, I guess, because each tier is sort of a bundle. It's just that you know the more expensive tiers give you more in that bundle. Um, but it, it's a strategy, nonetheless, that I've heard from everyone that I've talked to that, like, if you bundle things, that's really when you're going to see people, you, that's really when you're going to pique people's interest because they love getting, you know, a package. They love getting a deal instead of just an individual product. And especially if you're writing and selling eBooks, I think, because that's, a, you know, you've probably heard this and experienced it. Like it's hard. It can be difficult mentally to justify spending you know, price point of 20 to $70 on a PDF, right? That's that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a barrier. So if you can add something into the mix that will sweeten the deal, that's a good yeah. strategy, I think.
1: I also have kind of this inception level thing going on. So you can get, um, well, this is the individual one, but like if I were to jump over to the, the, well, yeah, I'll talk about an individual book for example. So like the, an ebook costs $29, the video version of it costs 70 or you can get both for $75. So it becomes this like no brainer thing for most people to just get both um, because it's such a like marginal jump in price Um, and it pushes a lot more people who would have just gotten the ebook to get the book with the videos because even though there's like a huge gap between $30 and $75, they're more focused on the like, oh, for just $5 more I can get like, you know, then the videos cost, I get the videos and the eBooks. Like I'm obviously going to do that. Um, yeah. So that has been a big one for me. The other thing I introduced last year, inspired by Wes Boss, is um, uh, automated pricing parity. So I now have a lot of readers from outside of the U.S. or Canada where my prices make sense. Um, yeah, I have a lot of folks from India, from Nigeria, from, um, you know, from parts of like Russia and, um and other Asian countries where my prices given kind of the cost of living there and the salaries there are just prohibitively expensive. This occurred to me because I I had someone from Nigeria who was having trouble buying my stuff because his credit card kept getting rejected. And it turned out that the, like the cost of my stuff was like at the upper limit of, Um, how much he was allowed to put on his credit card every month of $300. And I was talking to him and he had saved up for months to buy something that would be kind of like a frivolous purchase for someone in America. And I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm going to let you spend that much money on this thing. Like that's, I appreciate that you, you find the value in it, but like it just morally feels wrong. So, um, this is when I still had analytics on my site. I went and looked at all the countries that people visit from and anybody, any country that had five or more visitors on it, I went and looked up salary information for an entry-level web developer in that country, compared it to what they get paid here. uh, That position gets paid here and then set up an automated system that offers them a discount equal to the percentage difference in those two salaries. So like, You know, if you're from Nigeria, you're going to get, I think it's like a 91% discount, same with India. Um, If you're from, um, uh, you know, some other countries, it's closer to 50%. But it's just, it's automated. You hit the site, it shows you the discount um, uh, with a a code you can use. And that has driven so many more sales than I expected it to. I I did not realize how many people weren't buying my stuff because it was unaffordable to them before I started doing this. Um, But yeah, and it's one of those things like it, With a digital product that costs me no additional time or energy to like, whether I sell one or a hundred of them, like it becomes a no brainer to do something like this. These were sales I weren't getting otherwise. So if I sell it for, you know, 9% of what I would have sold it for otherwise, it just doesn't matter. Um, You know, so it's a sale I wasn't getting anyways. Yeah. So this has been, this has been a huge thing for me. Um, It's driven a lot of my
0: business growth over the last year. It's such a great strategy and something that is probably not all, like it wouldn't come naturally to think about that. I don't think because, you know, when you're selling a physical product, like we've done in all of history, as opposed Mm -hmm. to digital, it doesn't make sense. Like it's not, you know, you can't do (laughs) that. Yeah. There's like a minimum, like a floor cost that you can't go below. Exactly. But with digital, because it's, you know, otherwise it's just, you know, nothing to provide the download. It's great. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's awesome. I'm curious about your approach when you're going to come out with a a new offering. What's your kind of strategy around uh, launching? And do you do something where you're gonna, you know, incentivize your audience uh, for a while leading up to the launch? You let them know about it. You build interest. How do you approach launches? Uh,
1: yeah. So I I used to be better at this than I am now. Um, it depends on the thing. So like when it's a new like pocket guide or like video course. I usually mention that it's coming out a week or two beforehand and I'll sometimes start to share more articles around that topic just before the, the guide goes live. Um, just to kind of get people primed around that topic. Um, and I also offer an exclusive discount to my newsletter subscribers. So like, you know, if you buy within the first week, you'll get, honestly, it's usually like somewhere between 30 and 50% off. It's pretty substantial. Um, uh, the bigger, um, like for, for other products, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Like I used to do a lot more hype around launches. Um, and these days I, I actually don't. Um, I usually just mention it a couple of times before it goes live or let people know like the day before. Um, the, um, the thing I've found is most of my customers for the new stuff I launch are people who have already purchased my old stuff. And so a lot of my launch sequence these days is just letting them know that a new thing is now available and here's a discount you can use for a short while. And then I'll send them two or three emails just in case they've, you know, stuff gets lost, stuff gets missed. Like, oh, just a quick reminder, that special discount code I gave you expires you know, tomorrow. Make sure you use it before then if you're interested. Um, yeah, it's become a much more like not a big deal kind of thing. Um, the bigger, the bigger kind of sequences for me are actually more around like things like Black Friday and the holiday season and just kind of like building up some hype there. But, um, yeah, the launches used to be much more of an event for me than they are now. Um, I just, I've kind of hit this point where I have a, I have a fan base that wants to buy my new stuff when it comes out. And so I just kind of tell them about it and they do, it seems like such a like weird thing to say, but, um, yeah, marketing has become a much more casual kind of affair. And I'm I'm a lot more concerned with like just like the long-term growth and getting more people on that that email list these days than I am with like the big hype around a launch. Um yeah, one of the one of the more recent things I did was launch that like subscription video series just because I rather than having like like with with my existing product base to get more money every month, I have to sell the things I've already made to new people or create new things to sell to the people who've already bought. But with the subscription business, the same people keep giving you the same money every month. Um, and so that has become like a very nice thing. Um, not a big part of my business yet, but um, slowly growing. But yeah, I, I, just, I wish I could be like, Oh yeah, I have this huge long and there's people who are definitely better at that than me. Like Paul Jarvis is, is amazing at the sequence and the launch Amy Hoy amazing at building hype around a new product. Um, for me, the bigger things are like like Academy, I only run a couple of times a year, so it's not this kind of thing you can sign up for every just whenever you want. it's not like an open rolling course like it starts on a date, it ends at a date, and so for that, I collect email addresses for people who are interested in between those launch periods, and then a week or two leading up to it, I will let them know like, oh, it's coming next week, you know get ready, you know it'll be available for you know this period of time, and for this week, you can get a discount of x and
0: um yeah, but that's that's really the only
1: one that has any sort of proper sequence to
0: it. Hmm. Okay. Do you, um, so you mentioned a few people that are, I think, better known in our industry <laughs> for being sort of the, uh, the, the the gurus, the instructors of how to do uh, online business. So people like Amy Hoy, Paul Jarvis, <laughs> is there anyone else that you uh, have followed uh, that you've gotten good advice from in the past? Maybe uh, we could point people to some other, other folks
1: yeah let's see so the yeah the biggest ones for me you mentioned Amy and Paul already. um Jonathan Stark and Philip Morgan have had a really big um, kind of a really big influence on how I run my business um, and um yeah, beyond that, um not really i um, I guess the only other person that really comes to mind is Kai Davis. um one of the nice things about um so i I had actually done some formal business coaching with Jonathan Stark, which got me access to his Slack channel. And um, there's just, it, it's a really nice community of folks where like, I'm constantly like sharing things I've learned, they're sharing things they've learned, things that work, things that didn't. Um, one of the most interesting things that, that's come out of that for me is just that different things work for different people. So I've found a whole bunch of things that work for me. They may or may not work for you Ryan or for the people who are listening to the show um and so the most important thing is really just trying things like there's a you know there's a a handful of people that I've been influenced by but a lot of stuff they recommend doesn't work well for me either so like just because Amy Hoy or Paul Jarvis or Jonathan Stark says you should do something like try it but if it doesn't work for you don't feel bad about throwing it away and, and doing something else like everybody needs to find their own kind of like their own normal their own business process
0: yeah, I think that's great advice. It's, uh, you know, there's a couple things that I've come to realize is a little bit uh, problematic for people that are on the journey in this uh, this industry and in this, this area of activity that we're in. And that is, there's a couple things. There's the, the temptation to just like try to mimic what other people are doing and, you know, think that that's going to just work, you know, just as well. Um, whereas in reality, there's a whole lot more that goes on, you know, behind the scenes, um, when, when someone who is established has, has, you know, a a certain way of offering products or approaching an audience, you know, there's, there's history there, there's building relationships with audiences. Like there, there's stuff that you just, you can't replicate so easily. Right. So I think there's, um, there, that's, that's one aspect. The other thing that I've come to realize is like, it's, it's very fruitless to compare where you are on your journey with where someone else is on their journey. Um, you know, because it's journeys are unique, and there's not going to be a one-for-one replication. There can't be, you know, between two people and how they're approaching their business. So, I think that's great advice. You know, if if something's not working for you, it's uh, you know, ditch it. Don't don't try to replicate exactly as everyone else is doing. You know, you gotta find your, you know, just like you you have to find your voice as a writer. I think it's important that you find your approach. Uh, as, you know, someone in digital business. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I very early on tried to, um, you know, so like one of the things Jonathan Stark talks about is a product ladder of, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, where you kind of, you start people off with a less expensive product and work them into more expensive stuff. Um, And I, like very early on, like repeatedly, would build out these complete product ladders where I'd offer these things. Um, at various price points, copying what I had seen other people whose businesses I envied doing. And none of those things ever sold because it just wasn't a good fit for my audience, my customers, um, and the way I ran my business. And one of the best things I ever did was like, I think two years ago, I just, I scrapped all of it and focused on just two things, the guides and my newsletter. And every other product I've offered since has instantly sold a good amount of stuff because rather than creating stuff that I thought people might like, or that I saw other people doing, I would just talk to my customers about like, Hey, what's, what's something you really struggle with? What's something that would help you do what you do better? And then I create things around that rather than trying to just kind of make stuff up that I thought would sell well. Um, you know, so now I offer far fewer things, but I sell a lot more of them and it's, it's worked out really well.
0: Yeah. It's a good place to be. I think, man, it's like, you know, there's less stress on you that way. I think mm-hmm. as a oh, for sure. product developer. So I think that's great. Um, well, I think, you know, that's probably a good place to start wrapping up. Um, is there anything, you know, aside, we'll link everything up, of course, in the show notes uh, to, to your uh, products and your offerings. Um, tell, tell people once again, where, uh, they can find each of those things. And then also if there's anything else you'd like to, uh, to promote, uh, as we go.
1: Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. The best, best place to, uh, to find all the things is, is at go make things.com. Um, that's kind of the jumping off point for everything else. Um, yeah. And the, the only other thing I would just kind of put out there is if anybody has any like additional questions about how I approached anything or how I got to a certain point or like, you know, particular struggles, things that didn't work did work. Um, I, I have my email address just published freely on my website. Um, feel free to reach out. Uh, by email, on Twitter. I, I love talking about this stuff. Like for me, growing the business is as exciting as kind of the technical stuff that I teach people. Um, and I, I love talking about this stuff.
0: That's awesome, man. Thank you. What's uh, what's your Twitter? We'll link that up. Oh, uh, Chris, it's uh, just Chris Ferdinandy. It's really
1: hard to spell. So, um, cool. you know... <laughs> I probably should have picked like a like my business name or something, but yeah, yeah. getting to it is probably easier from gomakethings.com. My last Go. name
0: is a beast to spell. So yeah. gomakethings.com. We will link it up. So uh, that's great, man. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I appreciate this conversation and uh, you taking the time. So thank you so much. Hopefully we can do a round two at some point in the near future and uh, see where things have gone uh, in the meantime. Um, but until then, uh, all the best with your business and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Ryan. It was really great uh, being here. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thanks. Thank you once again so much for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. You can find show notes, including all the links and resources that Chris mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you've got any feedback about the show, if you'd like to suggest a future guest, or if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. You can say hi on Twitter at twitter.com coderpodcast Also, if you enjoy this episode, and if you feel so inclined, it would be great if you could leave a review and subscribe. And if not, no hard feelings. Until next time, happy hacking.